You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Well, hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole and... Oh, I forgot we should be kind of quiet. I honestly don't know where we've landed, but it seems vaguely familiar and very dangerous. So um, I'm just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is every single week, is Christy Morris. Ah. Oh, gross. Oh, that's disgusting. I know. What is that bug? I... I don't even want to know, honestly. Well, you find all kinds of weird things when you're on an uncharted planet, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's super gross. Uh, hopefully that doesn't, uh, you know, you're not allergic to anything. But uh, before we dive into the show this week, as we're talking about the new movie, 65, uh, thanks for joining us. We're just so glad you're here. Of course, you could find us wherever podcasts can be listened to. Uh, and we'd appreciate it wherever that is. Make sure you subscribe, uh, and that way you'll get our episodes as soon as they drop. Uh, you, of course, find us all over social media. We're on Twitter, at The 602 Club. Of course, we're on Instagram as well, at The 602 Club TFM. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We're in the entire network. We're online at trek.fm, and there's also a listeners-only discussion group you can join called the Babel Conference, where listeners from all over the world can get together and talk about what's happening here with all the episodes that are going on uh, on the network. And, of course, uh, you can also give us a star rating and review on any of the podcast listening devices that you've got. Uh, You know, so Spotify or Apple Podcasts, those really help people find the show. We'd appreciate that. And last but not least, if you do enjoy what we do here on the network and the 602 Club, you, you can go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm, be part of our team, make sure that all the shows we're doing keep coming to you. The more support we have, the easier it is for us to be able to get shows out on time to you and to make sure that the shows keep coming to you in the first place. So again, go to patreon.com slash trek.fm and become part of our team. So, Christy, I had a really interesting question for you as we were coming into this movie. And, you know, this is one of those things where this is this is not part of any franchise. This is just uh, from the creators of a Quiet Place series. And um, so that's kind of what drew me into this, that in the trailer we saw. But I wanted to ask you kind of coming into the film, um, what did you like when you saw the preview? What did you pick up from the preview that this movie was going to be? It's funny that you ask that because I vividly remember texting you about it when I saw the trailer and going, ooh, interesting. It's like a mix of Jurassic World and Alien. And I think Mm -hmm. that felt like a very accurate prediction coming into this. Did you kind of feel the same way? Yeah, I think uh, that's something that's uh, very interesting. I, I think the this is the thing that really got me. And I don't know if, you know, maybe I just was not paying attention well enough when the trailers came out. But I had the feeling as though the trailers were setting this up that humans 
were on an exploratory mission in space mm-hmm. and get thrown back in time to prehistoric Earth. I did not realize that this movie, that that wasn't a thing at all, that, that it's this civilization that discovers Earth. And so that's the thing I was just, you know, again, I don't know if I haven't, and I should have, I'm sorry I did not, I did not go back and watch the trailers uh, to see, uh, you know, uh, if, if I, again, was just misreading things. But that's, uh, as I was coming into the movie, that's what I was thinking was going to happen, which, of course, that's not what happens at all. Whereas my wife... Apparently, she's way smarter than I am, which she totally is. Um, and she got immediately, and she's like, oh, no, this is exactly what I thought this movie was going to be. Huh, okay. Yeah, I, I think I was more in your line of thought where it seemed like, for whatever reason, humans were thrown in at the same time with dinosaurs for some reason. And so, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, sort of either they've gone back in time or they are, are before we find out that it's Earth, um, they're exploring other planets and happen to find one with dinosaurs mm-hmm. in the future because right. the the weapons and the tech seems very futuristic. Right, right. But that is not what we get. And that is kind of weird. I will say, I think that one thing that they got wrong that they should have found another way to fix is that opening title card that says, Before the Advent of Man. Right. There were men... Finding Earth. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, it is kind of a, a good time to to dive into the idea of the story here, which is that the way the movie has the story set up is that uh, 65 million years ago on a planet called Sumaris, uh, a pilot um, is going to go on a extended space expedition uh he needs this to gain money because their daughter is sick and this is going to help him and his family with being able to pay for her medical bills and yet of course this also means that he's going to have to be away from them so the interesting part about this is that it seems in some way to be suggesting that even though these people look just like human beings, they're not actually human beings. And so it's like, huh, well, that's kind of strange. It seems as though, you know, just right up front, I think I would have given these people something that makes them look different enough than human beings Mm -hmm. so that, it didn't just feel like because there's nothing that differentiates them from humans other than the fact that their planet looks a little bit different because it has like a purple sky. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, I think it feels like a contradiction in the very beginning of the movie when you're saying this is before man existed as we know it. And then suddenly you're seeing humans. Mm hmm. And you're like, yeah, wait, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes. No, it's no, I'm right there with you. I'm I'm just kind of I'm a little bit baffled and and you know, you know, Star Trek has has done that for for a very long time obviously, the whole idea of 
you know, that aliens can look similar to human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's not something that I necessarily, you know, that that part I don't really have an issue with. Um, it did just seem strange is that, you know, they literally look exactly like human beings. There's no, um, there's nothing that does set them apart. So it just seemed a little bit odd to me um, that they didn't do a better job of, you know, setting up the film itself. Yeah, no, exactly. I think you could have easily made it make sense by having either some kind of physical trait about them be different or changing the way that they get Mm -hmm. there. Right. Well, and then, you know, with the story too, the fact that he's a pilot and he's ferrying these people that are in cryo uh, to, you know, some different planet. I also did feel like that it would have been nice if the film had done a better job of setting up why these people are going to this different place and giving us an idea of where that is. Um, Because, you know, the thing that causes the big problem in the film is that, you know, they end up running into a meteor shower that, you know, isn't on uh, any of their maps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they they run into an asteroid shower that's just not a part of, of any of their charts. And, um, and so, I mean, that all makes sense. You know, it's space travel is, is always going to be dangerous. Um, and yet, I think that I don't really have a, a an understanding other than the fact that Mills is the pilot and he's bringing these people. It's like, where are they going and why? Um, I, I guess that it's like two seconds of dialogue that would have been nice to have. Yeah. And it, not only that, but it also feels very similar to the plot of Passengers at this point. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. You know, because they're also on an extended expedition um, to find an inhabitable planet and they're taking people in cryo because it takes mm-hmm. so long to get there. Right. And then they run into some meteors that damage the ship and they have a pilot on board. <laughs> right. Um, well, and I, I think the other really weird thing about the story is, is that they they don't do a great job of, I think letting the audience know that it seems like Mills is awake for the entire duration of this run. And so he's spending two years basically by himself. Um, And obviously he's getting things from his family throughout that time period. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it seems like he, he can receive messages and he can probably send messages, but the, the thought process that he's actually spending all of that time alone seems very strange. And, you know, as you so rightly mentioned, the idea of passengers kind of puts that the idea of spending that much time by yourself doesn't seem like it really would be good for anyone. And so I think, I think, um, again, it, the more I've kind of thought about the movie, even just the story setup here, it seems like it is really missing some things that you would kind of want to be a little bit more 
understandable to the audience. And again, none of these things, I think, take any time really to be able to set up a little bit more. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, we're talking at most you could do it in two to three minutes, you know. And so, um, but I, I just feel like I would, I, f- I feel like I would be more invested in the story itself with its setup if we just had a little bit more to go on. Right. I think you've hit the nail in the head that there are some things that are essential to suspending your disbelief to take you along for the ride with them, but you're missing those things. And so you're sitting here questioning the whole time, why are we doing this again? Why do we even have to be Mm -hmm. here? (laughs) I mean, obviously they said that he needs the money for his daughter's treatment, but ultimately Mm -hmm. what is the mission trying to accomplish right exactly um because you don't you know when they do spoiler alert you know crash on what is prehistoric earth you know i'm not connected to the fact that he's lost his entire group of people right because i don't have any idea like you said of really who they are or where they're going or why and so there other than the fact that then, you know, possibly he's lost on this planet and by himself again, you know, forever, uh, if he can't uh, get himself picked up. And so, yeah, I just I, there's a lot about the film here in in the story setup that seems to be missing some good details, which would help all of this you know, make more sense and make an audience member feel more connected with the film from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And to add to what you said as well, I think that if you had had some little flashbacks of int- introducing each of the people that are in cryo and why they've gone on this expedition and shown, you know, maybe it's like, Koa's parents and that they have a good relationship Mm -hmm. and that they, you know, raised her well and they're excited to go somewhere new. Something to make you care more so that you are then feeling a sense of loss when all of these people die. Mm -hmm. It's kind of sad that there's no real reflection on how many lives were lost. Right. Well, and and then in some ways, I think you'd even just have more of a connection with Koa herself and her mm-hmm. parents being lost. And so absolutely agree with you there. I think all of those things um, make sense. And I think, you know, this is a film to which we're dealing with loss, um, especially Mills losing his daughter, who he, through the course of the film and through seeing uh, the messages that get sent him, we realize that his daughter has passed away in this time. And so everything that he's been doing on this mission uh, comes to naught, right? Because her illness progresses and they're not able to save her. And so it all of what we just talked about and the idea of dealing with his loss and then, of course, Koa having to deal with the loss of her parents once she realizes and, you know, Mills tells her and it finally 
clicks for her because, you know, another thing about the film is that, you know, they don't speak the same language from because they're from a different part of the of the planet, which, is, again, something that Setup could have done better. And so they're both dealing with loss, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I, I feel like the thing that really creates an issue there is is that because we haven't had the setup that we were just discussing in the way that I think would have been more beneficial, we don't actually get to explore this in the depth that we would like that would really, I think, make this um, theme come more to light than it actually does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that they make you connected with his daughter enough, Mm -hmm. but they don't give enough background on what her illness is or um, what kind of a father he was other than that brief scene on the beach. Um, You know, all of the motivations that would show why he was doing this aside from the major one of her disease. Um, Right. And then really showing enough of his even relationship with his wife because then suddenly he's gone and Mm -hmm. it's also like, you know, she's then doubly alone because her daughter has died and her husband's gone. So it's like, do we care about her too? So mm-hmm. it suddenly yes. like doesn't really focus on his wife at all. Right. Well, and and then I think, you know, the the idea of of dealing with loss and everything, it then makes I think the story, you know, spoiler alert, they survive, right? Mm-hmm. And and they're able to escape prehistoric earth. And so I think it makes that part of the story better as well because he's going to be rescued. She's going to be rescued. You know, uh, in your head, you're putting the pieces together that he'll end up adopting her and him and his wife will have a daughter again, Mm -hmm. right? It's not going to replace their daughter, but it um, it will be a way of being able to heal. And I think... All of the the setup that we were talking about and the things that we felt like were kind of missing there at the beginning of the film, I think, would would have a much larger impact than on even where the film lands with who what these characters go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I think you know another thing that that the film kind of becomes about because of the situation that Mills and Koa are are in you know they're trying to escape prehistoric earth and this movie becomes about that idea of you know found family and and the importance of companionship um because without it you're lost i mean you know when he thinks all the passengers are dead and he'll never be able to to get off this planet and his you know he knows his daughter is dead you know, he almost commits suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the importance of having companionship, uh, especially uh, since being alone and utterly alone, um, can have such an impact on you, you know, personally. And so 
I think they do that decently well with the way in which Mills and Koa find the connection with each other here and begin to, you know, lean on each other um, and work together and basically kind of create this new family unit. Um, Mm -hmm. It just, I think, again, it all kind of comes back to it could have been even better. Yeah, I I mean, I think that that those were the two things that were done the best in this movie and that all of the things we're talking about are not the fault of the actors that it's purely writing that could have fixed a few things. Um, But the way that the two of them played the depth of emotion um, and especially the scenes, like you said, where he almost commits suicide and then finds the one person that happens to still be alive in their cryopod um, and that it happens to be sort of like destiny of the universe sending him someone like a daughter to help him heal. Right. Is so great. And that you can tell how much they come to mean to each other as they go along the journey because mm-hmm. he has to rescue her and then she in turn rescues him twice. Um, they're learning from each other. And even though they don't speak the same language, I like that it's also showing that there's a a universal language of being able to overcome those barriers through Mm -hmm. body language and stuff. So um, it ends up being a really beautiful story in that sense. And I, I love that they show that people need other people. We are not solitary creatures. And that's, I think, something that sets us apart from animals is that without some kind of companionship, whether it's like a child and a parent or um, two adults or two friends, that we are lost without that, that we need that for protection, but as well as just to keep our sanity. Um, And when he thinks that he's lost her in the rock fall, um, the depth of sadness he feels of like he's messed up again was just so, so moving and really Mm -hmm. sweet to see then when he does find her. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's definitely a thing uh, for this film is that, you know, and and I think you put it really beautifully, people who need people and, you know, uh, humanity is a relational we're relational beings, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, every part of our being is relational. Um, and from the moment we're born to the moment we die. And we're meant to be in relationship with with each other. And so to be a person that doesn't have that is damaging and hurtful uh, in so many ways. Um, and it, it's also, you know, because we're relational beings, um, then the hurt and pain that we can cause each other or that we feel when those that we love die or, and all those things are, are just accentuated because it's, it is to the very core of who we are Mm -hmm. that um, those relationships. And so, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's to me the the best part of the film is, is the way in which they are able to connect these two characters together. And I think that for me, one of the, the the biggest reasons of that is that you have 
Adam Driver in here, which I've always liked Adam Driver as an actor. And I've always felt like he is a good actor. He's great at portraying emotion. Um, and, uh, you know, like you said, none of the problems that I have in this film have anything to do with the the cast. And it's a small cast. But Adam Driver just, I think, puts everything into this movie possible. I mean, um, we came away from the film and I was, I was talking to my wife and I said, man, he's just disgusting this whole movie. Like, and I mean, like physically, he's just, he's muddy and dirty. They're putting him in water and this soupy stuff and this quicksand. And it's just like, I mean, he gives everything to this film um, to bring it to life. And I think the way that he's able to portray it emotionally and physically is exactly what the film needs. And he's a highlight of the movie because I think he's able to do exactly what you need to do to make all of this feel right in the sense of what you should feel for this character and feel from his performance. Yeah, this movie is definitely um, one of those that we've talked about before. Is that It's a character study. It only really centers on these two people. And if they're not good, then nothing in the movie is good. And I think that they definitely cast the right person using Adam Driver for Mills because I think also he really uses his own life experience when it's necessary to draw from. And he is a parent. He actually apparently has a second child on the way right now. Um, and also is formerly in the military. So I could see him having some survival skills and knowing, you know, when he needs to just buck up and keep going. Um, and I think that he brings all of that to this role. And you can really see that he's showing how someone who is a father and someone sent here to do a job is then put in this impossible situation and trying to figure out how to move forward. Yes. And then also yeah. now protect someone else. And I love that they're showing that even your heroes have weaknesses when, you know, he, you can see that he has an infection from that wound on his side and she catches him looking and he says, I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. You know, he's trying to portray, I'm fine. Really? It's, it's fine. I'm Superman. Um, and he's not, and that's okay. But you know, he's, he's dealing with his own things, but he's still having mm -hmm. to be strong for her. Right. I, no, I agree with you on, on every front. I think, you know, you talked about the idea of him being a father and, of course, the, having been in the military. I think all all of those things he brings to bear in his performance here. And, again, you know, he I, I've always found him to be an actor who is able to do a minimal amount of talking. And yet you actually understand everything that's happening to him just because of his facial features mm -hmm. uh, and the way that he the look on his face. Right. Um, he's just so good at that. And I, I think the other part of this is that Ariana Greenblatt, who plays Koa, she does such a great job of that as well, because she doesn't have a lot of lines in this movie because in the lines that she does have, most of them are in a language we don't understand. And yet. Everything that you need to feel with that character, she is able to bring to life. And that is a very difficult thing for 
a young actor to have to do, I believe. And, you know, you really need a child actor to be able to perform well to make that happen. And I think she does a great job. Right. She says everything in her facial expressions and her body, her movements, her um, just her vibe um, and chemistry and being part of this movie. I think that she does such a great job at getting across, even though she's speaking a different language, how scared she is or um, wanting him to be there for her or especially when she wants to rescue the baby dinosaur. Um, that she still has a heart as well. She's still a child, and yet she's stuck in this situation and having to grow up really fast. Um, I love that that scene is also getting across that that's probably the first time she's had to deal with death because she's trying to understand why, for example, there's cruelty in the world with those other dinosaurs attacking the baby. And then later right. learning that her parents are not only dead, but that he lied to her about it. Um, she's having to deal with a lot. And this actress, for being her age, man, she really gets everything you need out in her face. Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%. Um, no, I, I, it's, it's a really great performance, you know, and I think it's one of the best parts of the film. So, uh, and it's... It, it, which is a good thing because, uh, you know, with all the setup issues that we talked about, if those if if the acting hadn't been on where it needed to be to bring these roles to life, it would have been really, really frustrating as a film. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case because I think they are able to bring it uh, to life in a way that, you know, this movie could have been atrocious. And it's not because both of these actors just, I think, act their hearts out. Um, I did, I did want to ask you too, because another part of the story here is the looming asteroid. And what did you think about the idea that one of the reasons that there is a time crunch for them to get off the planet is because they just happen to run into the same asteroid that's going to hit earth and destroy everything and reset the planet um and you know kill all the dinosaurs and uh, how how did that work for you i mean i think on the one hand it's awfully convenient <laughs> and not really imaginative storytelling to have that be the case but then again if you think about the any way that it could have ended you do need something that is the catalyst of them needing to get out of there quickly. Um, my opinion is that I would have made it like just the dinosaurs are all coming after them and they've got to get out of there or else they're never going to get off the planet, period. Um, I don't think you needed the asteroid. But, you know, I mean, they've named it 65. They've got dinosaurs. I feel like that was the point of the whole thing is that it's, centered around that particular event that we're all aware of. Yeah, I mean, I I totally understood why they made the choice uh because uh, apparently they felt like they did need another reason uh for them to get off the planet. But I I do agree with you 
that I I don't feel like that they needed that, right? Um, I, I feel like that there's enough of the a reason for them to need to get off this planet because it's so inhospitable uh, for humanity at this point or whatever they are, um, Solarians or whatever, uh, you know, and so I don't feel like that this is, is a needed thing for them. Um, and I, I think, you know, for them, I guess what they're thinking is, is that this creates a countdown clock. And they want you to uh, to feel that urgency, you know, so there isn't time for them to rest. There isn't, you know, mm-hmm. um, they have to make it. And it, so it, it just ramps up the tension. But I don't necessarily know if it was needed. And like you said, too, I mean, it. I get to that the idea that, you know, this this asteroid that's heading for Earth and, you know, the break off pieces are what the ship runs into which is why it's not on the scopes, right? Um, but, I, you know, I, I'm of two minds of it. I cannot totally understand why they do it. I just don't necessarily know if I feel like it was necessary. And um, I, I, it, like you said, I think convenient is the word it feel, mm-hmm. uh, that comes to mind. Um, and so, yeah. Like, we need something to get them off the planet. How about we'll redo Armageddon? Yeah, it, it, it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so. I mean, I know, obviously, like, it's it's a little bit different, but yeah. Uh, I, I think that you could have even had it, like, he gets a message to his little um, device that says that the ship is going to self-destruct in so many days. You right. have a countdown right there. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I actually think that's a, a great uh, way to create the story. Um, and... You know, so and and I think uh, the idea there too that the the countdown clock uh, of that it you know so that their technology you know doesn't fall into the hands of people that were on a planet they might land on you know that yeah so that makes complete sense yeah yeah so anyway yeah all of that uh, is is, are are things that I think um, kind of create some tension for me with it but. What did you uh, feel about, you know, because this movie is a is a big deal. Uh, this movie is is very much about uh, the look, the feel, the effects of the film, because we're with dinosaurs. We're on prehistoric Earth. Um, how did that all work for you? Did they did you feel like they did a good job with, you know, creating this kind of prehistoric feel and then bringing those, you know, dinosaur, you know, that alien feel to life. I thought that was another really good part of this movie. Uh, you know, like we joked about in the beginning with the bugs landing on the back of his neck or um, the nasty bug that crawled inside Koa's Ugh. mouth. Ugh. You know, it made Ugh, me puke. Yes. That was some good yes. effect work. <laughs> um, and I thought the dinosaurs looked really good. I mean, I think that they also really used uh, lighting and set design to their advantage. I'm thinking of the cave scene where you can't really tell where the dinosaur is that sneaks up on them until then you see some scenes where his device picks it up. Um, there's There were some creative shots like that that were really cool. And I thought that all the gadgets that they gave him were really neat. Some things like, you know, setting up a perimeter of glow sticks that have a little alarm 
when something gets too close. Um, or, you know, like I said, like his gadget that shows a, an overview of whatever you're trying to look at, sort of like binoculars, mm-hmm. yeah. but then you get a 3D yes. image. Mm-hmm. That was neat. Um, mm-hmm. And even their, you know, suits and cryopods and stuff, you believe that that's what they are because they look like right. things we've seen before, um, but a little bit different. So I, I had no issue with the effects and all of the... Mm-hmm. Um, set pieces and costumes yeah i know i'm right there with you on that part i i think this is one of the places where the movie does excel in in creating a very believable uh you know alien technologies and i i think you know uh, for the most part all the dinosaurs looked great you know i think one of the things that this film does very much want to do is not repeat all the stuff that you've seen in the Jurassic series. And so, you know, we do, I guess, see a T-Rex, a couple of them. I'm, I'm guessing that's what those are. Um, and yet, you know, there's a lot of other dinosaurs that we haven't spent as much time with in the Jurassic series. So um, I think that's a good thing. Uh, like you, I think the effects work looked uh, really good. Uh, all the places they filmed, I know they filmed in places like Louisiana and Oregon and some places like that and kind of put everything together to create a landscape that just feels familiar and then very unfamiliar at the same time. You know, even it's mm-hmm. our own planet. And so um, I think the only thing um, I think the only thing that it doesn't necessarily work as well as when the asteroids start hitting. Um, but, uh, you know, other than that, I think this movie looks good, which is really important to the film. So what's what's interesting to me, though, is, you know, this is a very straightforward movie. There is there's not a lot of nuance to it and in, in, in everything. And, and part of that for a lot of the reasons that we've, we've talked about. Um, and so I'm I'm fascinated to see where you are going to end up with your ratings for this film you know i was really surprised at how glued i was to the screen when i was seeing this in the theater because like we said there are some things here that definitely could have been explained better and some things that i felt were derivative um but the jump scares added a lot i think the effects were cool and I think that you had two actors that really held up the story well. Um, so I don't rate it as low as I might have just for those other pieces. Um, because I think that it's got its saving grace with the two of them and then with the the story of the companionship and um, really focusing on their journey. So... I think ultimately for me, I kind of end up at a, it's so hard. I guess I'm going to give it a three and a half out of okay. five um, alarming glow sticks because nice. uh, it, it does have some cool things about it and I would go see it again. Um, but I do think it's got some big things that, th- that could have been a lot better. So mm-hmm. it's not yeah. horrible, but it's not great either. Yeah, I'm so I think that for the type of film that this movie is, it's fine. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, we've we've talked about the whole time is that there are so many ways where this 
film could have easily been much better. And I think that's kind of the frustrating thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so um, for me, I would give this, it's probably 2.75, but you can't do that on Letterboxd. So I will give it a three. Uh, It is a three out of five uh, nasty bug bites. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, you know, it's just there in the sense that it was, I enjoyed it at the theater, but it was also one of those films that the more I thought about uh, it, the the more I had kind of some issues, you know, with the movie. And so, um, but Christy, I'm really excited to see what you want to recommend to everybody this week. Yeah, uh, I actually am recommending something a little bit different this time. I was inspired by the nasty bugs in this movie um, to talk about if you haven't seen, there's a really cool new experience that you can buy tickets for in certain cities. Um, and it's called the Slumu Institute. And it's literally like a museum of slime. You can Ooh. buy tickets and go to this live experience where you get to see how slime is made, like the chemical process of different kinds of slime. They add fun like scents to it, colors. You can actually um, stand under a waterfall of slime in a poncho and get Ooh, slimed. Okay. Yeah. So uh, everything about slime you ever wanted to do, check out the Slumu Institute. Um, and I'm trying to get some tickets, hopefully before it leaves Atlanta. Um, nice. Yeah. So it's I basically like it. a Nickelodeon show, you know, where yeah, they would but just so you. much better. So- it's not just okay. green. It's like pink and blue and all kinds of stuff. They had one that's, that smelled like hot chocolate. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. So, so anyway, try something new like that and check out the Slumu yeah. Institute. Very cool. Uh, well, I'm going to recommend. Uh, so uh, the other night, uh, my wife and I sat down and we decided we wanted to watch a movie and uh, she wanted to watch Pride and Prejudice, uh, the one with. Keira Knightley, which is personally my favorite version of that film. I think it's fantastic. It is actually, too, one of the most beautiful movies that's ever been produced. And the soundtrack is phenomenal. Uh, And so I'm just going to recommend everybody goes and watches that because it's just so good. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I just love it. So Pride and Prejudice is my recommendation. But, Christy, if people want to catch up with you, where should they find you? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at Bespin Bell. And when I'm not here, you know, I do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And, of course, you can find me sometimes, too, on Facebook in the Babel Conference. Uh, But what about you? Well, you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 uh, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vera, the places I'm most active. Of course, you can find me in the bonus shows of the 602 Club, as well as literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise, Saddle Up about Strange New Worlds, and of course, The Artificial Tango as we are walking through season three of star trek picard and then over on the nerd party network i have a completed show called owl post did that with drea kaufman and we talked about every single chapter of the harry potter series and then aggressive negotiations with the great john mills as we talk about star wars each and every week but thank you so much for joining us and y'all come back now you hear Thank you.